Hi, everyone. I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth. And this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. Back on the podcast for the third time is my favorite wellness couple, Jason and Colleen Wachup, co-founders and co-CEOs of Mind Body Green, one of the world's largest health websites. This time, they are on talking about their latest book, The Joy of Well-Being, A Practical Guide to a Happy, Healthy, and Long Life. In this episode, Jason and Colleen share some of the biggest lessons learned over their almost 15 years at the forefront of the well-being conversation. They talk about how their health journeys and viewpoints on diet and exercise have evolved over the years, like upping their protein intake and doing resistance training. We talk about practices to feel your best, like sleep, breathwork, and community. In order for the practices to make it in the book, they had to be easily accessible to everyone, science-backed, and offer the possibility of joy. I absolutely love this conversation and the book. I even got a copy for everyone in our office. So keep listening to learn more and go out and find your joy. If you haven't had the chance to try our grain-free granolas yet, head on over to Walmart to now find them in the gluten-free healthy living aisle in select Walmart locations. Our grain-free granolas have crunchy clusters of nuts, superfood seeds, and creamy nut butters, all baked with organic coconut oil and sweetened with coconut sugar. They are gluten-free, paleo, and keto certified. Use the link in the notes section to find Purely Elizabeth products at a Walmart store near you. Jason and Colleen, welcome back to the podcast for the third time. So great to have you. So good to see you. And huge congratulations on your book. So thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, always such a pleasure to see you. We were so bummed that we forgot to say we, we were at Expo West for the day and we stopped by your booth and you I weren't know. there. That was twice. So sad. It was but crazy. You're here in our household and spirit every day as we consume many of your products. So well, thank you. You guys are always in my thoughts. Actually, I have bringing it back to pickleball. I have the pickleball rackets on my desk in my office that I keep meaning to send to you guys. So oh. this is the reminder. I need to send it to you and you have to send me your address. Done. Or you could just move to Miami and hand deliver. Right. Fair enough. Well, huge congratulations on your new book. I'm really just love diving into it and love the approach of the practical guide and the word practical, which really stood out to me, really just took such great information that you guys have had over the last almost 14, 15 years now, which is hard to believe, and distilled it. So I'd love to hear first, what made you write this book now and kind of impetus for for writing it? So I think we have a couple of different whys on this one. You know, one on a personal level, longevity has been an increasing focus for me as I've aged. I'm 48 now. And you know, my father died of heart disease at 47. My paternal grandfather died of heart disease at 49. And my maternal, sorry, paternal, I, I get, they, they just all died too young. Paternal <laughs> died at 49 of heart disease. And or no, maternal died of heart disease at 49. And paternal died of cancer at 44. So Men in my family have a terrible track record with longevity, and it's been an income, become an increasing focus for me. And 
we live at such an amazing time where longevity is just like come so far and there's so much you can do, but it can quickly become overwhelming. Even for people like us who are embedded in this and like, this is our business, this is our world. It became very clear that a lot of the science out there and a lot of the experts actually point to practices that don't require a lot of time or resources. And that we felt that we could actually get people to like 80% of their maximum well-being and experience joy. Because quickly in the longevity conversation, it can get to a place where it's an exorbitant amount of time and money and you're waking up and you're doing, you know, sauna, then cold plunge and then back to sauna and then you're getting sunlight and then you're fast. And it's like, oh my God, I just spent four hours of my day. And for anyone who's really busy with work or family, it's just like impossible. And we said, you know what? Like actually a lot of the science points to all these things that anyone can do, even if they don't really have a lot of time or resources. And so it was something we really felt strongly about. Yeah. And we have a very complicated relationship with the word wellness. In some ways, these are the practices that have helped shape us, help transform our own lives and and get us to a place of living a well-lived life. But the way I see it right now in the world, it's a little bit too much of a focus on a frosting and not enough about the cake. And our friend JJ Virgin says, you always have to bake the cake before you can put on the frosting. And there's just too much noise, conversation, and cacophony about all the things, which are great, and I enjoy them too, and too little conversation about these foundational principles that have the ability to have the most impact. I could not agree more. Jason, I'm curious for you when you talk about your family history of health and obviously longevity right now, that conversation as you're aging, getting older has become so much more important. Was that important for you? Was that a big forefront when you started Mind Body Green or was that like, oh, that's so far away and I don't need to worry about it? Because I think that's a really important point for people to be thinking about. I think, you know, when I started Mind Body Green, I was in my late thirties and I really didn't think about it. I think I really started to think about once we had kids and I really started to think about it on the eve of my 48th birthday in a way like I didn't, I wasn't prepared. All of a sudden I felt like I had this ghost of my father and I know that my, my father also had something structurally wrong with his heart and had a really bad divorce and was under crazy stress and all those things said, I knew all that, but still I struggled emotionally in a way like I wasn't prepared for. And so it it really hit me. And I think a lot of people, I'm not unique in that. Everyone's got a family history. You know, if you think of cancer, heart disease, cognitive decline, like it, it hits every family. And I think everyone can point to that person. And, you know, part of it was like, you know what, I'm not my dad and I've got all these tools and I've, I've got, you know, better markers and I don't have structural defects, but I think, I think it's, people struggle with it. And and that also, you know, played into this, you know what, like, I'm not alone. And you don't have to do all of the stuff, so to speak, there, there's an easier way to get 80% there, and you're probably going to be okay. Yeah. And I think the other point to that is, the conversation of longevity has just shifted so much where before it was maybe something we were thinking about our parents when they were much older and something that you have to do in the future. Whereas now they're all kind of all your principles are all fundamentals that we should all be doing, whether we're thinking about longevity or whether we're thinking about the best way we can feel in our body today. That's a great point. In some ways, well-being is a proxy for longevity because they 
they're one and the same. You're yeah. you're laying the foundations now for a better life in the moment, but also in the decades to come. And, and just to spend a moment on the word joy and how this factors into all of this, <laughs> you know, I think 1.0 was, you know, purely longevity. I'm going to extend life. You know, for example, I'm going to live to 100. Then the 2.0 version of this is health span, where I'm going to live to 100, but I'm going to be fit and healthy and mobile and have a quality of life so that I'm fit ha- fit and mobile for 99 years, 11 months, 30 days, and I rapidly <laughs> you know, decline or die overnight at the end. That's what you know. I think people want it with health span. And we like joy span as a 3.0, because let's say you do that, you're healthy and, and fit and mobile, but what if you don't have any friends? What happens if your family doesn't speak to you? I think that would kind of be a miserable existence. And I think a lot of the modalities or protocols can become overwhelming. And if you look at the numbers, like we're just not doing lifestyle well in this country. National Quitters Day at the gym was January 13th, which means people are sticking with the gym. (laughs) And I think it's because a lot of what's out there is overwhelming and conflicting and doesn't bring people joy. And And that's something I think in 2023, given the state of the world and the mental health crisis, like there is a way to do this. There's a way to get healthy and there's the way to do it in a joyful way, no matter what level you're at. Well, I love your approach to joy. And I think back to the last time that we spoke, I think it was in January. And Colleen, I feel like one of the things you said was joy. I don't remember what the question was, but that just really stuck with me. So I had that in the back of my mind. And it's actually interesting. We just did a bit of consumer work which we had never done. And one of the outcomes of it was that really our community is seeking joy. They're what we're calling healthy maximalists. So not looking to balance, but really it was like, this is the book. So it really resonated. I'm curious for both of you guys, when you think about joy, what are some of your favorite things to bring you joy right now? You know, this is obviously something we've given a lot of thought to over the past two years and just felt was so missing from all the conversations around well-being and longevity. And we made a decision to to move to Miami. And I know it's a place for me that I can have more joy in my life. So we've talked at length about how much I love pickleball. I wish I was playing more pickleball daily in my life, but it's something that's really easier to do here in an environment that enables you to be outdoors. We get so much joy in going to the beach. I love the sacred connection with something bigger. And for me, it really is a spiritual experience going there with uh, Jason and our, our two girls. I think it's added bonus of habit stacking that I am literally forced to put my phone away because I cannot bring it in the water with me. Um, so it it delivers on all cylinders for me. And for me, walking, which is quite possibly the most underrated (laughs) exercise there is, in my opinion. And it's something that brings me an extraordinary amount of joy, you know, walking by the water, walking in town, walking to get coffee. I absolutely love walking and it is so underrated. And that is something I do on a daily basis. It would be very difficult for me to live in a place in the suburbs where I couldn't walk anywhere. So like walking, it is so unbelievably great for me. If I can't walk, I am miserable. How many steps are you getting in in a day? Probably around 12,000. And with that said too, it's not like I just go walk for two hours. You know, something, you know, that I think this speaks to, to lifestyle is I make it work in my day. I 
we, I have a rule if it's less than five flights, so I take the stairs. And so I get steps that way. If you say I don't have time, well, you know what? That probably takes me less than 30 seconds. And I'm in pretty good shape. So let's say, assuming you're mobile, of course, if you're not in good shape, maybe it takes a minute. Everyone has a minute. You're waiting for an elevator sometimes mm-hmm. for a couple minutes. Take the stairs. You know, I constantly walk around the house or work. I do a walking phone call if I have to. Like I clean up, I move. Like I, th- there's ways to incorporate it into your day. So I'm like a big believer in like making sure you, you find, I think where people go wrong is, they think about these modalities or practices or protocols as something like in addition. And we think about it as like editing, figure out what your day is and then figure out where are the micro moments where you can like fit in things that fit in your lifestyle that you also enjoy. I love that. I actually literally this morning I have a 415 meeting and I took off Zoom and I just edited the calendar invite to say, let's walk and talk. And that was the first time I ever did it. And it was probably because I just got finished reading your book that it made me think about that. But uh, I think that's such a great tip. And hopefully more people can just do small things like that to say we're right now so stuck on sitting on Zoom for hours of the day, like being able to get up and walk and talk, it would be a wonderful addition. Agreed. Smoothies are one of our favorite meals or snacks here at Purely Elizabeth, but you know what we love even better? A smoothie bowl. That's why we've partnered with Smoothie King to add our organic original granola on top of their new smoothie bowls for the perfect salty sweet crunch. All six new smoothie bowls features an acai or pitaya base with a variety of fresh ingredients such as locally sourced fruit, dried coconut, goji berries, honey, or peanut butter, and our granola. It's super easy to order directly through the Smoothie King app, or you can order in-store starting April 6th. Can't wait for you to try it. I know you're going to love it. Enjoy! So I do love this perspective of joy and really connecting it to our mental health, our mental wellness, and bringing that into the holistic picture of health. And I feel like right now, it's so wonderful that we're connecting those dots in so many areas of this wellness conversation. You know, if we think about Dr. Pedre's book on gut smart or Will Cole's book on gut feelings, like everybody is connecting those dots that I hopefully the surrounding conversations are helping people to not hear it once in, in, an autoimmune conversation over here, but bringing it into the forefront. So I'm just curious for you guys, how you think about where this conversation goes. And if you could say a year from now or two years from now, where do you think we're going to be when we talk about kind of mental health and well-being? And when we think about our why and our purpose with Mind Body Green, it's obviously changed over the past 14 years. And by decade, and we both came at this from personal health injuries and got us fully absorbed into the well-being world. But now our why is really related to the mental health of our two growing daughters. It is not easy to be a human right now. It is not easy to be a boy right now, but it's especially hard to be a girl right now. So connection and something bigger, the two last chapters within the book are to us the two most meaningful because they really are our why. And it's the entry point right now for so many people in this health and well-being conversation. The statistics are really scary. Coming out of this post-COVID world, 
In 2019, there was a Cigna study that said only half of Americans have meaningful daily face-to-face social interactions. We can only wonder what that statistic is in 2023. And even if you're just looking at, okay, well, where am I going to have the best chance of optimizing my health and well-being? We obviously talk a lot about nutrition, which has been shown to decrease mortality rate by about 30%. Exercise is about 20%. But being in a good relationship, having friends and being connected to your community can lower your mortality risk by 45%. Wow. So there's super compelling data that we're definitely not spending enough of kind of our social media mind share on the right topics, which, you know, for us, the most meaningful really are connection and and something bigger. Yeah. And I think uh, with regards to nutrition and exercise, I think most people listening, you know, they know if they're maybe not as eating as well as they should be, they're not exercising enough, but with regards to their emotional well-being, their connections, I think those are harder questions sometimes for people to ask and requires a little bit more work. And we just think they're, they're paramount in the age we live in. And it's like my all time favorite study, the Rosetto study kind of just crystallized this for me. And Rosetto was this small town in, in rural Pennsylvania in the 1950s and the 1950s heart disease enters America, but not in Rosetto. Heart disease in Rosetto for people over 65 was half that of the nation under 55, no heart disease. And so they take a look, like, what's going on in Rosetto? <clears throat> well, these people were smoking, they were drinking, they were eating lots of pasta and meatballs, <laughs> and they're like, this makes no sense. And then they went a little bit further, and they discovered these people had unbelievably strong social connections. Multi-generational living was very common. There were lots of parties and parades and celebration. They were enjoying wine and food with friends. Then the 1960s, people start to move away. The community gets weaker, breaks apart. Guess what? Heart disease catches up to the national average. And to me, this really, look, we still believe nutrition and exercise are paramount. We don't encourage a lot of smoking and, <laughs> drinking and, and you know, all the above. 80-20 rule. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 80-20 rule. But I think it does really speak to the power of social connection. And it's just something that we need to, to really focus on. And, you know, the mental health crisis, we, we have a lot of work to do here. So as you mentioned, kind of your why changing to really be about like your girls and and how you think about that. I'm curious to hear if there were three tips, words of advice to give them to really help on their well-being journey, what would that be? So you can go. So I, I can tell you what I what our motto is to them, what we say yeah. to and keep in mind. Wait, and how old are they now? Six and coming up on four. I like to say three and a half. Well, she turns four in June. So, you know, I think we're going to have to let go of the three. <laughs> this is what we say to them. We say we work hard, have fun, be calm, be kind. Those are kind of our rules that we think a six-year-old and an almost four-year-old can understand. Yeah. And, and, you know, the behaviors that we model in our house are the ones that we hope that they gradually adopt it's important for them to see us out exercising. Um, it's something we both enjoy. So in our apartment building at night, when there's no one in the gym, we'll bring them down just so they can see us doing jumping jacks, doing push-ups, just building those muscles really early. We're thoughtful about screens. I've seen some I- volleyball. All yes. Yeah. I think. So that, that's, that's pretty coach, good. <laughs> that's coach, coach Stephanie, who is Dan Butner from Blue Zones, girlfriend. Oh, no way. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. Which, yes. So fun. We are thoughtful around screens. Our kids do use screens, not a ton, but it's thoughtful around the media that they consume and less about TikTok or watching things that are perhaps less fruitful for their brains and their mental health. In addition to changing kind of the longevity and connection and purpose conversation around Mind, Body, Green and kind of the why and you started, I'm curious to hear if there's other changes over the last 14 years that have really shifted your perspective at Mind, Body, Green. Like when you first started, were you... I know you weren't, but were you vegan and now you're eating meat or, you know, some real changes in the trends of the wellness world, I guess. For me, the original why of my body green is that yoga saved me from back surgery. And that was a profound moment for me and the inspiration behind my body green. And so I basically was practicing yoga a lot and I leaned vegetarian and then you know, in the context of like being more focused around longevity in my 40s, started to to get back to resistance training. And we talked about this last time in that, you know, there's this unbelievably hor- horrific statistic where if you're over age 65, there's a 25% chance you'll fall. If you fall once, chances are you're twice as likely to fall again. If you fall and break your hip, there's a 30 to 40% chance you die within a year. And the fall doesn't necessarily kill you but it's all the things that can go wrong after, whether it's complications from surgery or an infection or you're bedridden, you become depressed and lose hope. It's just something you don't want to happen. And so ideally, if you're about to fall, you have the mobility and the strength to grab something or maybe the mo- the mobility and the balance so you don't fall at all or the muscle mass so that if you do fall, you have the armor to help break it. And so that really had an impression on us and had us really focus on on strength training. You know, sarcopenia is very common. Up to 13% of people in their 60s have it. And if you make it to your 80s, half of people have it. And so, you know, we lose bone density as we age up to 1% a year starting at age 40. And so that that's a real concern for us and really focused us to get back to resistance training, whether it be body weight training or in the gym, and if you want to put on lean muscle mass, you have to consume protein. That's a fact. It's an emotional conversation for people. And so we've increased protein consumption. And it's a lot harder to do if you are vegan. It can be done, but it's more difficult. The easier way is to do so by incorporating more animal products. And the RDA of 0.36 grams per pound of body weight is just like inferior. That's the bare minimum. Chances are you need to double or triple it if you want to increase lean muscle mass. You've got to consume protein. So that's the biggest change for us. By far. By far. I love that you're on that path because I feel, I guess we talked about, so am I. But I also think it's so important. And I, I do love in your book where you talk about different things like that, where you have changed your opinion. I think that's a really important conversation to have in the wellness world where I think people are probably afraid that if they were vegan to say like, now I'm eating meat or now I'm doing X, Y, and Z. And it, that conversation should certainly be an open conversation where things change, research happens, you could learn more and it shifts on what you like to do, what makes you feel great. hundred percent. And there was also a period in time where I was intermittent fasting 18 to 20 hours a day. And that became really difficult to get enough 
protein. And so I probably do 13 hours now, 14 hours tops. And for breakfast, I'm having grass-fed yogurt with your granola. So I'm eating breakfast every day. It's something I wouldn't do previously. Do you notice any difference going from intermittent fasting 18 hours to 13 hours? In terms of hunger, no. In terms of like I've actually put on, there's a body scan at the gym. I put on five pounds of lean muscle mass in a pretty short period of time. That's awesome. Love that. And also like for the one thing I'll add too, it's not like resistance training is something new and protein, but in in, in our world, I think that- (laughs) It is in our world. Holistic. (laughs) Yeah. And it's a lot more female centric. It is kind of new. And I think the holistic world in the 2010s was all about yoga, maybe lighter Pilates and movement and nutrition tend to go hand in hand. So- that was when there was a lot of focus on a vegetarian diet. And now you see more raw foods. Totally, yes, yes. totally. And what's wonderful now is when, you know, one of the most popular classes last year on ClassPass was women's weightlifting. We go by the gym at our daughter's high school. They're not in high school, but it's the same school. And we saw all of these women working out in the gym, lifting weight. So they're going to grow up with this just being such a familiar part of how they work out, get stronger and take care of their bodies. And and on that note, besides the longevity conversation, this is something that's also interesting. If you're young and athletic, women athletes are two to eight times more likely to experience an ACL tear. Crazy. Wow. Yes. The, The theory is the why is traditionally, and I think this is changing, it's a good thing, boys or men were a lot more likely to be doing resistance training and strengthening the muscles, the quad around the knee. And so with women and girls, you know, becoming more widely acceptable and recommended to do resistance training and strengthening the muscles around the knee, this is a protective measure because that's pretty scary. If you're, if you're a woman who's active, you're two to eight, eight times more likely to, and that's a terrible injury. Yeah. That's horrible. So on that note, on that statistic, was there anything when putting together the book that was really surprising or interesting to you guys that was like unexpected? And also, how does it work writing a book together? Yeah. So for me, there was one stat around media and the culture we live in, where Wharton at the University of Pennsylvania profiled, went to look at, like, study the New York Times most viral articles, sent to the most emailed list, and they classified articles by emotion. And so the top three, and essentially, like, you're from the New York Times most emailed list, these are, like, the most widely read articles in the world. And the top three emotions were anxiety, awe, and anger. Hmm. Anger was number one at 34%. In other words, if someone read an article and became very angry, that article was 34% more likely to go viral. Wow. And if you zoom out, essentially, anger is driving more eyeballs, more engagement, and more revenue. <laughs> and I don't think this is exclusive to the New York Times. I think this goes to social media. Anger is a good business model for if I'm an influencer looking to build a brand or if I'm a media company looking to get eyeballs. And that is sad. And I think, you know, if we were to look in our world in the health and wellness world, it's commonplace. And that a little surprising, not to the degree that 34% was was kind of shocking. Yeah, that's shocking. 
One of the most interesting kind of revelations from me in this book writing process, surprisingly to me, sparked a lot of divisive comments when we talked about it. Um, Lisa Miller, PhD, is a huge part of our Something Bigger chapter. She actually lives in Coconut Grove, is a neighbor here, found that a child was five times less likely to be depressed when spiritual life was shared with a mother. Her research shows that spirituality not only was a hugely protective factor, but it was the biggest protective factor over the course of an entire lifetime. And in the book, we delve into the fact that Dr. Miller has a very generous approach to spirituality. It could be religion, it could be nature, it could be a transcendent experience. It's truly this belief in, in something bigger than oneself. I was, was super excited about this research and, and find it to be something I want to ensure I impart in my daughters in the same way you know, that we're mindful about all, all the other parts of their life. I was surprised by just how divisive this comment was on a lot of our social platforms, whether it be Instagram or TikTok, sometimes you know when you're jumping into a divisive topic like, and you kind of prepare your social team for it. But this one definitely shocked me. Let's talk about let's talk about protein. <laughs> well, or we could just go go straight to vaccines. And, right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> but I, I found this really inspiring because I do think it's something that as as parents we can impart and help mold in our children. For sure. Okay, now to the question of how you guys write the book together. What's the pro- what was the process? How long did it take to put this together? Two years. Two years. So Two was years it the beginning together. of COVID or middle of COVID? A year. I think a lot of people have a different view on when COVID actually <laughs> <Right>. ended. <laughs> right. So if we talk about middle, beginning, or end, it, it was, or if it was even here. It, right. there, yeah, uh, it, it was definitely all during COVID. I'm going back to all of our meetings, and they were all really done. Let's just say now. it started in 21. Um, okay. But the the value systems of Mind Body Green, which you know are essentially the brand of Mind Body Green, those are things that Jason and I are always in alignment on. So yeah. that piece was really fun. You know, as co-CEOs, we have different strengths and weaknesses, but that's always like the underlying kind of pillar and foundation. You know, we weren't debating what should be our POV here. That foundation we're always a hundred percent in lockstep on. Sorry, do you want to just touch on? Because we kind of skipped over this, but like the premise of your chapters are based on the accessibility. Let's go through yeah. that. Yeah. So I think the way we kind of approach this is like, our, does does it fit the, the blueprint? As, is it based in science? Is it accessible? Does it, can it bring you joy? And if it didn't meet all three, it wasn't in here. So those you all agreed on, obviously. Yes. And then... You know, we started with, I would say, like highest return on your investment, biggest impact, lowest lift, and kind of that's where we started. So the first chapter is breath, given, okay, the biggest hang up and biggest objection is time and resources. Well, we're all breathing daily, no matter what, 17 to 30,000 times a day. And if you don't breathe for a number of minutes, you're, you're not going to be here. And so let's focus on breath and the impact is just so significant in that the majority of the population isn't breathing correctly and that they're breathing through your mouth and, and nasal breathing is the, the better way to breathe. North of 50% of us aren't doing that. And just the impact has, there's just like profound impact that have downstream effects. So you breathe through your nose, it filters out the bad stuff, bacteria, viruses, increases CO2 balance increases oxygen absorption, physiological resilience, 
nitric oxide, which increases nitric oxide, which is great for your cardiovascular system. And then probably most importantly, where everyone's like, okay, okay, maybe I'm into that. But the most important one is you're more likely to be in your fight or flight mode when you're breathing through your your mouth rather than your nose, which could lead to chronic stress. And if we think about like the chronic stress most people are living with, this is like so critical. So like, that's where we like breath accessibly start there. There are downstream effects with sleep too. Was there anything that didn't make this list or that was like right on the cutting edge that you have that include this, not include this, or it was pretty definitive? So yes, there was. There's a chapter on stress and we talk about cold. I know. And, I hated reading this. Sorry. <laughs> and so I hate the cold. So are we. And this is why we put it in the chapter because the, the science is strong and like yeah. you can do a cold Unbelievable. shower. Unbelievable. So it's, so it's accessible. So it's like yeah. this, fits in. but we also made a point of, we don't do this because we don't like it. It doesn't bring us joy. And and we thought it was important because some people won't put things in their books that they, you know, don't do, even if the science is strong or they don't believe in it. And for us, it was just, this doesn't bring us joy. And the other thing, which has really strong science, but is really not accessible. We mentioned it briefly in the chapter is sauna. Saunas are a lot more expensive. They're a little bit more difficult. It's harder to hack. You can hack the benefits of a cold plunge with a really cold shower, which is really, really unpleasant or a really cold bath. It's a little bit harder to hack a sauna. And so we briefly mentioned it, but we we didn't go into that at all. And on the stress conversation, I think it's all about understanding where you are and where your body is. So for me personally, with two kids, a business, I am not looking for additive stress to help build those stress resilient muscles. I understand that, you know, there's people who are on a very different journey and could be trying to build discipline, could be trying to build those stress resilient muscles. And for them, cold plunges could be great and hugely satisfying. At the end of the day, the biggest message is you are the CEO of your own life. You're an adult, you're making the rules and the hard work is really understanding. You can take all this information, but only you will know if it should be integrated into your life to help you live your well-lived life. Yeah. Pauline, I'd love to hear a little bit on the sleep topic, which I know is dear to your heart. I I thought it was interesting how you also mentioned in the book, like it's the one area that we can all agree, right? Every angle of health and wellness, we all agree that sleep is important. And yet it's funny because even though it's the one thing we all agree on, so many of us don't take it seriously. Like you would think, okay, if we all agree that this is the right thing to do, then we're all going to take it seriously and not say like, oh, I can sleep when I'm dead. So we'd love to talk a little bit about that because I know obviously sleep is a big thing for you and hear any of your latest like ways that you're sleeping better or not. Yeah. I mean, I have a very personal kind of sleep story in that in my early twenties, I ended up in the hospital after not sleeping for three nights. It was before a presentation at work in front of senior executives, which could have had an impact on my eventual job placement when I was in a training program. And and this thing just started ballooning in my mind. And I ended up not sleeping for three nights, went to the ER where I was prescribed a Xanax. And that was kind of the start and finish of the sleep advice that I was given in the hospital. And, you know, there's so much to unpack of, you know, why I let that anxiety spiral out of control. And we'll save that for another, another podcast. But you know, it was the start of what's really been a lifelong struggle with sleep. 
And if you miss a week at the gym, if your diet slips off the rails for a week or even longer, you're going to be fine. But if you don't sleep for three nights, you could end up in the hospital like I did. And it's something that so many people are suffering from now. 33% of Americans aren't getting enough sleep. 50 to 70 million of them have a sleep disorder, the most common of which is insomnia. And so I've really had to be thoughtful about my sleep etiquette, but I also don't want it to overwhelm my life. So there's kind of some contradictions in in how I look at this. I am aware of light exposure, which being in Miami is a lot easier to integrate into your life without really having to give it a lot of thought. I'm super methodical about caffeine curfew. A lot of times you'll see people recommend cutting it off at 12 or two. I'm closer to like 1030 in terms of cutting off my caffeine curfew. I did have an aura ring for about two weeks and it was a treasure trove of insights. I did need the data to show me that I shouldn't have alcohol that close to bedtime, although I probably knew it, but there was something about seeing it in my HRV every day that made me really adjust my alcohol intake. But to that end, earlier in the day, earlier in the day, (laughs) not not at all. Exactly. Exactly. I do still enjoy margaritas and I don't drink a lot, but I will try to have them earlier in the day, whether it be at brunch or lunch, than at nighttime when I know it's going to have a bigger impact on my sleep. So since we've moved to Miami, we have invested in an eight sleep cooling mattress pad to keep our bed cold. I will acknowledge there is some frosting in my life and the eight sleep is part of that frosting, but it really helps keep the temperature cool, which is so important to sleep. And then there's times where we just break the rules. We know that if you think and create anxiety around sleep, that it can actually exacerbate your sleep worries and your ability to fall asleep. But there's things we really enjoy. You were asking about joy. And one of the things I was like, oh, I forgot to mention was secession. We love watching TV in bed, brings us a lot of joy. And we think it's actually important to kind of navigate away from the well-being conversation and exit this world so that we can actually feel like we're decompressing. So it's one of the ways where no sleep expert will ever tell you to watch TV in bed, but we intentionally break the rules because it brings us some joy here. Well, I actually loved that you mentioned that in the book. I think that that was like such a highlight for me. And I think just an <laughs> overarching theme to your book of like, you guys really shared and we're real about here's what we do. And it was very relatable because I feel like I do the same thing. I'm like, I like to lay in bed and watch TV. And you know what? We sometimes think that there can be a feeling that If you don't do something, there's a feeling of shame and there's just, we don't have time for that. It's got to be fun. And if something brings you joy and it potentially breaks a rule, unless it's like something that's potentially catastrophic, you know what? You should probably keep it in your routine. And for us, that's watching TV. We're mindful of what we watch, but it brings us joy. So we're not going to like have a hard and fast rule. We're not going to watch TV before bed. Are there any other recent rules that you've broken that have brought you joy? Hmm, That's a good question. Well, also in terms of diet, I think that can become an ideology. And for us, we're very flexible. The 80-20 kind of holds true. I try to eat pretty clean. That definition of what clean changes for me, but I'll eat anything. I think if I were looking purely at the data, I should probably be spending more time lifting heavier weights to help build 
my muscle armor. And I have adopted a kettlebell routine, but I also really enjoy going to group fitness classes at Tremble and doing some Pilates inspired resistance training, which probably isn't giving me the same bang for my buck, but it enables me to interact with lots of great women who are in the community and have a lot of fun doing it. So I'm kind of striving for the 80% and making sure that there's joy sprinkled in along the way and that I'm enjoying the ride. The other thing I kind of break a rule is with resistance training. I don't like waiting. If I go to the gym, I don't like sitting around. I'm always like kind of in a rush because I don't have a lot of time. So I'll go quick. It's almost like a blend of high intensity interval training because my heart rate is up the whole time, which is the thing <laughs> you probably shouldn't do, but I do it because that's the reality. Whereas if you're looking to purely build muscle, you should probably rest a little bit more before between sets. And I don't. I just go. Yeah, that's a hard one to do. I, I'm in your same camp. Yeah. <laughs> is there anything that you guys are both working on in your pursuit of well-being right now, personally? You know, I think a lot of the things that have been challenges for me in life are things that I never really shut the door on. So, you know, sleep will continue to be something. Building up my armor to, you know, the stress resilience that inevitably comes in life and entrepreneurship and being better able to navigate the ups and the downs without as much reaction is something I'll probably be working on, you know, through my latest decades of life. And for me, I'm definitely trying to put on lean muscle mass because I'm losing it or I was losing it, not anymore. And as you age, it's more difficult. And so I view it as like my race against time. I'm so far so good. And then the other thing with regards to connection I've definitely lost touch with a lot of friends and I came out, you know, in my twenties, I, I went to Columbia and everyone from Columbia stayed in the city and it's such a large, great group of, of guys. And then as time went work and then married then kids and I lost touch with a lot of people and it's something I need to do better at. And I've recently started reaching out when I can. And generally the statistics show this men are terrible here. Women are much better about keeping in touch and men are less likely to do it. They're more likely to experience depression of nowhere to go. And so that's something I'm focusing on is reaching out to friends periodically. And, and, you know, for a lot of people it's, oh, that's daunting. I don't know what to do. And, you know, we had Esther Peral on our, our show and, and we reference her in the book, you know, it's as simple as shooting a text like, Hey, thought of you for X, Y, and Z reason, thought I'd reach out. It's been too long. How are you? And you'll be surprised in the response. Most people will respond and you'll gauge from that response if they actually want to reach back out and rekindle the relationship. And most people do. And I think being in a new environment, in a new city where we don't actually have a ton of, we don't have any family here and we've made a lot of great friends, but it flexes muscles that had been really dormant for me in 13 years of New York, where to be honest, I was probably lazy at making connections and maintaining my friendships. And when you're in a new city, you have to be a bit overzealous and you have to do things that make you uncomfortable. I ask other women out on dates and, hey, I'm the first person who's a little bit of the aggressive texter. And if I hadn't moved to Miami, I don't know if I would have kind of taken that initiative of seeing the value of connection in life and wanting to establish you know, that community of women here. Miami is just 
such an incredible city and we've experienced nothing but warmth and the community has been so welcoming so welcoming and, and just so excited about health and well-being and, and bringing more of us to the city so we're excited for you to come soon. i can't wait well i think it's also just such a good you guys are such a great example of taking that plunge not a cold plunge taking the plunge getting out of your comfort zone and and moving somewhere and that is such a huge deal but i think you know i did it many years ago coming to boulder but it really changes the trajectory of your life and it can be so scary to to leave somewhere that you've been forever but what any other advice you have on people to like make a big move and, and move to miami or somewhere that they've been dreaming about well i encourage miami <laughs> i think sometimes in, in life you feel like, well, it's not the right time. And in our experience, whether it's a move or a job or a company or a kid, the time is just never perfect. And it is a journey and be rigid about being flexible on the journey. You know, it all starts with just one step. You don't have to figure out the whole path or, or everything in front of you, but oftentimes it just, it starts with that one step. Arthur Brooks has this great line about writing a personal mission statement. And I think it's, you know, such an important thing to take stock of what does bring you joy and what is it about, you know, your current life that gets you excited to wake up in the morning and how you think you're helping people, fulfilling a higher calling. And I realized that even though Miami is a wonderful option for, for my children who are starting a school, that for me being in a city where I'm close to the beach, where I'm close to nature, where it's actually warmer, where there's more ways for me to kind of deliver on the things in life that brings me joy. It's just a better place and environment. But I think you do have to do that work of, okay, what do I like? What do I miss? Um, to kind of figure out what's the right place. Because you also don't want to just be like, I'm not happy here, so I'm going to move. You have to yeah. be really intentional to and, make sure you're not running away, but moving yes. towards. Yes, I think that's such an important question. Ask yourself, am I looking to, am I running away or am I moving towards something? And I think the other question is, are you looking forward or are you looking backward? Well, that was beautiful. So in closing, what's next for you guys? What's next for you? What's next for my buddy Green? What do we have to look forward to in the coming year after this book? So the, well, the big one is the book and, and all the things that come to it. You know, we're excited to start doing events again. We're doing an event for this book on May 22nd. If you want to come to Miami. Maybe we'll. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tap uh, me. <laughs> you know, we're, we're excited to start doing smaller events again and then just continuing to focus on, you know, creating best in class content across our podcast and all of our channels and then creating more amazing products, whether they're supplements or in personal care. And I think the two-year process for us of writing the book really helped us crystallize kind of what are the well-being North stars, not just for us or our family, but for Mind, Body, Green. And if I were to distill it, it's, it's really about having this much more loving conversation around longevity. So we helped to, you know, be a nourishing partner for people as they try to navigate the decades of life and, and help them find and define their own well-lived life. It doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be something you find to be brutal in your everyday. You can you can be healthy. You can live a happy, long life. And you know, no matter where you are, you know, it's just something we just can't say enough. I think for too long, you know, people people view health and wellness as this this thing they don't have time for. And I don't want to be miserable. And it doesn't have to be that way. 
Love it. You guys, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Huge congratulations. Everyone go get the book. It's phenomenal and wishing you guys all the best. Oh, thank you, thank you so, so much. much. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.
Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.